Good morning, friends. If you would take your Bibles and open them to Colossians, we'll be reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Let me pray. Dear Lord, as we reflect on your word now, help me to speak faithfully to it. That we might work through, that you might work through my words and your spirit to move each of us to love and honour you. Amen. I thought I'd uh, begin today with a little bit of a game. Okay, it's called Buy a Life. Uh, if you were here uh, on July 30, 2017, then this is a repeat, so I apologise. Uh, but for everyone else, hopefully it's still new. So, here's how the game works. Do we have the picture? Takes it, there we go. It's not quite as big as I was hoping, but let, let me run you through it. Basically, imagine you have no life, okay, and you've got $100 to spend to buy a new life for yourself, but you've only got 100 to spend, okay, so you can't, can't just buy everything, all right? And so, so you might want to be, you know, if you're a sport person, if you go, I, I reckon sport is something really important in my life, then you can buy it for 20 bucks. If you want love, all we need is love, uh, 40 bucks. Uh, if you want wealth, that's 35, success, 25. If you're just a party person, you just want to have fun, stop thinking so much, bargain, only 15 bucks. Uh, for those who are truly honest and want to buy looks, you can buy it for 30. Uh, friends, uh, or friends and popularity, I do as a package deal. And then finally, the adrenaline junkies, and you can choose your adrenaline, uh, including cross-stitch if you want, uh, it, it'll cost you $20. And then finally, if there's something you really value in life and it's not there, then you can buy the question mark, but you've got to give it a value. Okay, so I want to buy X and I, I'm willing to spend 30 bucks on it. Okay, so, so 30 seconds, gut reaction, what would you buy? Go for it. 100 bucks to spend. Okay, just give me a slight show of hand that you've actually committed. (laughs) Okay, that's progress, of which about a third of you have committed. So maybe that's a topic for another day, uh, decisiveness. (laughs) But uh, 
But let, let's just go with a, a quick show of hands. Who went, the, who went the sporting approach? Just give us a you know, quick show of hands. Who went love? Come on, love's a big winner. Yeah, it comes. We're strong on love. That's good. Uh, not as strong as I would have thought. <laughs> um, uh, who's gone success? Okay. Okay, we really are struggling with commitment. Okay, the, the, the genuinely brave, who's going for looks? <laughs> yeah, we're not that brave. <laughs> All right, let's move, we'll move on, uh, bring up the next slide. Whatever we chose, whether we're willing to acknowledge it in public or not, we chose it, I presume, because it taps into our sense of purpose and value. We are convinced that these things are the key to a happier, more fulfilling life. Uh, Some of those things are tangible, like being good at sport or or even love in a relationship. Uh, Others are less less tangible. Uh, Perhaps you chose something like respect or contentment. And because they're so fundamental to our identity, they're a good predictor of where we are most likely to feel most envious. Uh, Envy comes from comparing ourselves to others and inevitably when we compare ourselves, we only ever compare ourselves with the best bits. So we want someone else's looks, we want someone else's or another person's charisma, someone else's success. You know, I want to be able to surf like him. And we put it all together and so we, we... we shouldn't be too surprised that we create this completely unrealistic picture of who we want to be and inevitably we then feel disappointed. And all of this feeds our envy. So I think one of the biggest problems though with that expectation is that we're building our expectation starting on the wrong foundation. And so often we build it on the good things that God has created and the good things that God has given us, but we leave out God. Now, when I was preparing this series, my intention was to focus on envy. But the more I spent time as I prepared this, uh, this week, I realised we also need to talk about two cousins, and that's jealousy and coveting. Now, I'm not sure if anyone uses the word covet anymore, but For Christians, it still carries a lot of meaning because of the Ten Commandments and in particular the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. And so we often use envy and jealousy and coveting to mean the same thing and they certainly have lots in common. Uh, For starters, they all rely on comparing ourselves to others. They all feed on discontent and resentment. But there's also some differences. And so let me see if I can provide a working definition that seems to have a pretty good consensus amongst sort of secular writers as well as Christian commentators. Envy is resenting that others have what we want. Uh, So we can see other people and be inspired. Uh, They've worked hard, and if I work hard, I can have good things as well. That's not envy, because that's coming from a place of admiration and goodwill. It's the resentment and our sense of entitlement that makes it envy. Jealousy 
is about feeling threatened that someone is going to take what we perceive, rightly or wrongly, to be ours. And coveting is wanting to take what is rightfully someone else. Uh, so if you're gonna someone else, so if you can imagine I'm a young single bloke again, I might be envious that some other guy seems really popular with the girls. But I'm jealous if my mate is dating someone I like because I feel that they, you know, rightfully should be mine. That might be misguided and deluded, but it's still the feeling of jealousy. And coveting is when I start to scheme about how I can outsmart and outplay my love interest competition. Now, I've given a dating example, but it could be true for any of those things that tap into our sense of value and identity. And there's plenty of examples of envy and jealousy and coveting in the Bible. So one example is 1 Kings 21, where we have King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, and they are coveting the vineyard next door. He looks out his window and he sees this property next door and he thinks, this would make an excellent veggie patch. And he he tries to buy it off his neighbour, and when his neighbour refuses to sell, uh, Jezebel, his wife, sets him up, disgraces him, and has the neighbour killed. Uh, Perhaps uh, most famous in terms of coveting is the example of David who covets a young married woman and he has the position and the charisma to make it happen and then he covers it up by arranging to have her husband murdered. The Bible never says anything redeeming about coveting. Uh, Ecclesiastes acknowledges that envy can be a powerful motivator And I saw that all toll and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So even then we pursue the wrong achievements for the wrong reasons. The Apostle Paul also writes about envy in his letter to the Philippians. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. He then goes on a few verses later, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, Paul is not saying that envy is good, but God can still use even our sin to achieve his good end. Uh, So coveting and envy are always bad, but there is such a thing as righteous jealousy and it's always in the context of someone threatening what is rightfully ours or rightfully God's. Uh, So an example of righteous jealousy is in the Song of Solomon. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. So here, jealousy comes from a position of love and in the context of marriage, where two people have committed themselves to one another. And we should be jealous of things that compete for our affections in marriage and undermine that oneness, whether that's work or golf or the attention of another person. 
But just to be clear, not all envy, sorry, not all jealousy in marriage is good or healthy. And Solomon's words, I think, in our context, can almost sound a little bit creepy these days. Because it's the sort of, our, our sort of jealousy often and very quickly becomes toxic. Uh, it's not about love, it's controlling and possessive and paranoid. And it perceives every other personal positive interaction to be a threat or, or every other external activity to be a threat. Uh, the best example of righteous jealousy is how the Bible talks about God being jealous for his people and jealous when he sees the unfaithfulness of Israel. They angered him with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. So Israel are God's chosen people. They've made promises to be faithful. And God is jealous when he sees his people betray those promises and to give themselves to idols. So there is such a thing as righteous jealousy, but for the most part, that's not us. Uh, Most of the time, our jealousy sits with envy and coveting. And they are more powerful and more destructive than we often give them credit. So Proverbs 14, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Uh, We know anger and fury are terrible, and in contrast, Jealousy often sounds pretty harmless, unless it sort of goes full fatal attraction bunny boiler. But the point of these two proverbs is beware of jealousy, because they might not look as dramatic, but they can be even more insidious and destructive than we give them credit. And because envy and jealousy are so often connected to our personal relationships, they don't just rot our bones... They eat away at the relationships that we love the most. And they aren't dramatic. Uh, They fester and infect. And it comes with gossip and condescending, undermining, passive-aggressive pustules. Or perhaps we don't use words at all, but we just say an awful lot with our body language. We think the solution to jealousy and envy is to get what I want. If I just have that little bit more, then I will be at peace. Uh, But they're insatiable. And the more we have, the more we feel we need. And envy just promises and promises and promises. And we keep believing those promises. Now, when I was young and I used to do a little bit of hiking, and there's nothing quite so soul-destroying as a false peak when you're desperate. So you're looking up and you're on the brink of death and you see the top and it's just there. Just keep it together that little bit longer. And of course, as you get that little bit further, you discover it's actually not the peak at all. But then you can see the peak and it's just that little bit further. You've just got to keep it. And of course, that's not the peak. And it just goes on and on. Uh, that's what envy and jealousy do. They offer hope, but it's not life-enriching hope. It's a bitter hope. And it makes everyone else, including our friends, look like a threat. And even if we reach a peak, we actually get to the end that we hope to achieve. We stand at the top and then we look across at the next mountain and there are people playing on that mountain and they look kind of happy. We think, well, hang on, I I want what they've got. 
and then envy and jealousy just do what they do. And they're so powerful because they tap into our broken, sinful nature. You know, we can do practical things like practice thankfulness and gratitude, and they certainly help, and they are good habits to be in. But they don't deal with the root problem. You know, from our very brief Mark reading, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. And rationally, we hate them, but so often we feed them. And there's plenty of food sources and plenty of people encouraging us to eat. Uh, I often come back to Psalm 73 because I just think it's such a great modern picture. But surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, the psalmist looks around him and he knows it's bad, but it looks good. They've embraced sin and it works and they are happy and prosperous and they're free from the burden of right and wrong, which just gets in the way of us doing what we want to do. And the more we fix our eyes on the world, the more we consume its values, the more entangled we become. Now, I have a perfectly good motorbike. Uh, The limitations of my skill kick in a lot earlier than the limitations of that bike. But the more I sort of read biking magazines, the more I think, you know what? I think my life would be better if I just had another bike and a newer bike. And of course, you know, if it's not bikes, you, know, you can pick your topic. But it just never ends. But I think we often feel envy and jealousy most powerfully when it's up close and personal. When we're envying a good friend or their house or their car or their success in their career or their marriage. And it's even worse when our friends feed our discontent and our envy. Uh, which is why Proverbs is so adamant about the company we keep. Do not envy the wicked. Do not despise their company. Because inevitably, the company we keep influences how we view the world and what we value. And the more they talk about how life isn't fair and they deserve more, the more we start to think, well, perhaps life isn't fair and perhaps I deserve more. And actually, I'm nicer than them. And I'm more talented than them, and so I deserve more. Uh. And it goes on. But the opposite can also be true. And this sort of picks up the theme we were talking about the other day when we are talking about friends. Uh, Walk with the wise and become wise. I have some friends, uh, very good friends, who are Christians and very successful in their careers. But I don't envy them. And part of why I don't envy them is because for all of their success, they don't lord it over anyone. Uh, I'm sure they get lots of identity from their their jobs, uh, which is great, but what they exude is their identity in Christ. I don't think any of us need to be convinced that envy and jealousy are bad, but the heart of the problem is our heart. And so that's where we need to find the solution. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of hope for our heart. Uh, in, the word of Jerem- in the words of Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things 
and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, thankfully, uh, there is hope in Christ. So the Apostle Paul writes, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated. Set your right seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So Paul is talking to Christians and being raised with Christ means accepting his death for us on the cross. He has dealt with our sin and we've accepted his authority over our life. And when we commit to that, he places us on a new path. And because we're in Christ, he also creates us as new people. Uh, We are righteous before God, and so we desire to do the right thing by God. And that old sinful nature, which includes our envy and our jealousy, they are now dead to us, uh, and we are being transformed into a character that aligns with who God has created us to be, and he's doing that through his spirit. Now, the catch is our old sinful nature is dead but we keep returning to it. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Now, we are not fools because in Christ we are wise, but there are plenty of times when we act like fools. And the more we work with the Holy Spirit and focus on who we are in Christ, the less we have to deal with envy and jealousy Because our whole way of viewing things has completely changed. Uh, We're viewing the world through a different lens that no longer compares ourselves to the world around us. And instead, we start comparing ourselves with who God has created us to be. And that means we, we start to believe David's words in the Psalms when he says, "For For you created my innermost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And David isn't just talking about the beautiful people or the really talented people. He's describing all of us. Uh, Some of us have more baggage than others. Uh, Some of us have profound physical and emotional scars that have just come from living in a broken, fallen world. A world where accidents happen. And we might grieve that brokenness, but we can never be someone else. Uh, That's the lie of envy and jealousy. Constantly says we need to be someone else. We deserve to be someone else. I would be happier and more fulfilled if I was someone else. With the help of God's spirit, we start to see what it means to be content being who God has created us to be in this life and to make the most of who God has created us to be and to make the most of the time that God has given us. So setting our heart on things above changes how we see ourselves and it changes how we pursue our desires because it recognises that Christ is the foundation of that identity. And so we we still have aspirations, but we take out the envy and the jealousy that are so often driving those aspirations in our natural sinful self. And so to use work as a case study, 
Uh, When our heart is set on things above, we thank God for our work. Uh, We're content in our work because our primary motivation is to honour God in whatever circumstance he has given us. And if we get a promotion, then we're thankful and content and we we seek to honour God in that new role as well. But if someone else gets the role, then we're going to be disappointed. But we don't need to be jealous because our value is not in our role. Our value is in who we are in Christ. Now, again, I've used the example of work, but it could be true for lots of things. It could be true as we aspire to be married or to travel and go to Marrakesh or own a home or or play professional football. Uh, They're all good aspirations when we put them in their rightful place. Uh, But in the wrong place, they become a breeding ground for envy and jealousy. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Uh, You'd think the choice between peace and rotting bones would be easy. But so often we make it hard because we focus on the world's values rather than what God values for us. Uh, I want to close with a prayer uh, using the words of, of Augustine, who was a bishop in about 400 AD, And uh, this is a slightly abridged version, but let me pray using his words. Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense and your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we, who are a due part of your creation, long to praise you because you made us and draw us to yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Amen.